Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm happy to welcome Star August, co-founder and president of Holistic Birth Collective, and Kaylin Jarris to discuss the benefits and community-based maternal care in addressing social disparities. Welcome, Star and Kaylin. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You know, I'm so excited. It's really timely um, as that we're highlighting, you know, maternal health here at IMHIP, and we're thinking about public policy and putting it into practice. There's a lot of stuff um, that Illinois has, you know, sort of moved the ball forward on over the past couple of years and recent legislation and Medicaid coverage, you know, for certified midwives. And I think you guys are just absolute experts in the field to really help our listeners sort of break all of this down. Can you just start by level setting on the um, Holistic Birth Collective and your community-based maternal care model and how it improves outcomes? So something we usually forget when we go to like talk to people is to explain, you know, the, the difference between a certified professional midwife and a certified nurse midwife. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people in Illinois, mostly the only midwife you'll be exposed to is a certified nurse midwife. Right. And those are the ones who typically work in hospitals. Um, and so first you become an, an advanced practice RN and then you become a midwife. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, our focus has been on direct entry midwives or cert- certified professional midwives where you don't become a nurse first. Instead, you go like straight into learning how to like take care of out of hospital like birthing people. Um, and the big thing I think that sets it apart is that it truly is a relationship centered, continuous model of care where you're working with the same person throughout your pregnancy. And then when you give birth and then afterwards for your postpartum care. And so what holistic birth collectives aim has been is getting the policy and the sort of infrastructure that like structures the way that patients experience their care, we want to make it aligned and actually capable of supporting relationship-centered care. Correct. Correct. I love that because I think as we think of the healthcare system, we often think of the providers, right? Like we think of the hospitals, we think of the, you know, the maybe the equipment they have, or, you know, or we think of the OBs or the ultrasounds and all of those pieces. But what often gets missed in those discussions is how does this actually look and feel to the member in this instance, the pregnant person and what is their experience and what are they bringing to that, you know, that OB visit or that ultrasound or that eventually that delivery. And it's not just, um, their clinical, like their clinical interactions, right? Like it's absolutely their entire humanity and their entire, you know, experience. And I think that what you guys do, and as we talk about certified midwives, as we talk about other things like doulas, the idea here is that there are relationships built around identifying and meeting that person where they are and helping them navigate a healthcare system that wasn't necessarily designed for them um, and has been slow to make the changes necessary to better serve those members. And I think this is a key component there. I think something that makes perinatal care so different is that 
it's really like this long episode, you know, it's like the nine months of pregnancy and like however long labor and delivery lasts and the postpartum. And this is for the most part, a family event. Mm-hmm. And, but I think COVID really highlighted how our health system isn't really designed to like support family events. Correct. And so it's like, Oh, like who do I want? You know, where's so, so when you go to people's houses, you get to know like their family, their support network, and oh, when I they have concerns, they can call you. Yes. That's definitely the case. I mean, when I go in, you know, home birth midwife specifically, we get to go and meet them exactly where they are. So we're going to their houses. I'm able to assess if they need, there's any specific needs that they may need. They may have maybe food insecurity. Um, I just see everything. I see everything. Um, and we get a chance to really bond and being able to have continuous care, like constantly, um, when I'm going through the house they're coming to mind, um, I get a chance to really know each other. And like that relationship based care that Caitlin was talking about is like so imperative, so critical, uh, with us being able to really pick up on things, uh, before they really manifest and escalate to them having, uh, like a obstetric emergency later on down the line at a hospital, we can actually catch it early on because, you know, with our, our typical, um, uh, prenatal cares that we have, for example, use that, use that as like a basis of comparison. So typical hospital visits are usually like 15, maybe 20 minutes. You never know who exactly who you're going to meet um, because there is a shortage of providers. Uh, there's a huge caseload they have to take on. Um, and so you, you would hope that you would get the same person you saw next time, but there isn't a guarantee. So the visits are pretty short. They're pretty much checking your vitals. They're doing like a urine analysis, BP, weights, um, having a brief discussion about how they're doing, maybe checking baby's uh, position, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is quite different from what we usually do at home. So we actually are able to go to their house. We sit down, we sleep with their whole family. We get to see how they interact with their children, with their mate, like their relationships. Um, and we really have like a really in-depth conversation about their diet because as midwives, we understand like one of the founding, the foundations of midwifery care is having a healthy diet. This is like, you're literally creating human life. And so it's important to really focus on that specific aspect. You can have a really positive um, outcome. So we specifically will spend 15, 20 minutes going through like a three-day diary talking about specifically, you know, Hey, what did you eat? Uh, you know, how this, how may this impact your body? If they do have any specific like ailments that come up, we're not so quick to go to pharmaceuticals. We always try to explore um, alternatives like herbs and things like that and supplements to help uh, bring them back up to par. Um, and if we have to consult with someone else, if something is kind of starting to escalate and getting kind of high, then we start to reach out and consult with other people. But I think midwives, we have an understanding, like a basis understanding that birth itself is not an emergency. It's a natural it's a natural um, thing that's really like part of life, almost like having a cycle. It's, it's like, it's not an emergency. And so I feel like, yeah, the media here in the United States have really framed it in terms of it being an emergency. So uh, we definitely wanna make sure that we are able to catch stuff ahead of time. So we're not having to have patients go over, but if we do need to uh, consult with another provider, then we're able to do that. But um, before we hopped on this call, Kayla and I were just talking about how I had one particular client um, who kind of came to me really early on in her pregnancy. Um, and we really developed like a really strong bond, um, like so tight. In fact, after she had the baby, she called me maybe like really late in the evening one night and was like, um, I'm concerned that I'm going to hurt my baby and I'm getting ready to hurt myself. And I said, you know what? Sit right there. I'm on the way right now. Just sit right there. Don't move. I'm coming right now. Um, and I'm really afraid that, you know, if this had been a typical hospital experience with an OP provider, it wouldn't have went that way. She would have just as a black woman. And I can tell, totally relate. Like we don't go in the hospital feeling like we, it's safe for us to divulge kind of what's going on because we're already like on high alert that they may report us to the state. They may try to take our babies. They already have these preconceived notions of us like overall on top of the fact that we know the stats that we have a higher rate of dying. So I feel like 
we're really just so guarded. And so it's so important to have continued care, culture congruent care with somebody that you really trust. You have a relationship. They know you. They come over to my house. Sometimes my children may be there. So we both get a chance to really know each other's families like very well. And so, um, you know, I'm just so grateful to God that she felt comfortable enough to call me and I was able to go over there and sit with her. And so I was able to get her husband and her mom there. And we were able to kind of get an action plan as to what was going to happen next. And yeah. just, it's so important to have somebody you trust that you can really open up because these are why we're able to have like positive outcomes. Absolutely. And I, I want to pull a few threads that you've highlighted there. Food, social determinants of health, trust, building that, you know, relationship, knowing, um, how to connect, you know, it really is. It, it's something that we see across all of healthcare, um, as really improving, whether it's in this, this prenatal perinatal time or somebody with diabetes or somebody with, um, hypertension that trust in the healthcare system and building those relationships is fundamental in a, in addressing implicit bias. And if that's something that we hear at I'm hip hip in, um, you know, sort of champions of, I know that you guys obviously are as well. Uh, and so it's something that, you know, you move, you know, we move one bill in terms of training, that doesn't mean we're like, oh, we're done. Like we can just move on. It is a continual um, march towards progress. And that is why we worked on House Bill 5013 together. Um, And, you know, talking about the shortage of OBGYNs in certain areas and, um, you know, talking about how do we work together to better serve pregnant people. Um, can you talk a little bit about how these collective efforts, you know, can better serve the communities that you guys serve directly and then that the plans serve um, in a holistic manner? Yeah, we were super glad to work with I'm Hip on House Bill 5013. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, because we think that it, it's a really good example of how do we make the way that we provide care more patient-centered. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, there's something to be said for I feel comfortable. And safe. Especially when, you know, when a woman's in labor, that's her most vulnerable time ever that you'll ever be in your life. You have to be around people that you trust because you're essentially like you're surrendering yourself and hoping they're going to take care of you and your baby and you're going to make it out of their lives. So you want to be around people that you can just, you trust, you feel safe with, because a lot of times if, if we're not anything as home birth midwives, we see this happen a lot. If there's somebody in the room that the woman doesn't really feel comfortable with, a lot of times her labor will stall. It will go on for days and days and ends until we eventually get that person in the room. Then things kind of open up and things progress really quickly. So there definitely is like a connection for sure. And I think, you know, as we think about comfort, as we think about navigating the healthcare system, and we continually think about collective progress, 5013 sort of lays that foundation of making sure that access, you know, with regards to networks or, or something along those lines, you know, isn't the issue that it's not simply that a provider is refusing to contract, which then means that a member doesn't have access. However, it's just the beginning because we definitely see that if you are in Medicaid, your access looks really different yeah. than, um, than mine, for example. Uh, and, and that is, you know, 5013 sort of starts that, but there's still more progress um, to make sure that members are being served and have the same access touch points that um, 
anybody in a commercial plan may have. And so I think our hope is to continually sort of push that ball forward to make sure they have services, a wide array of services like doulas, certified midwives, um, but then also that those providers, those institutional providers are just as invested in the Medicaid program Mm -hmm. as they are in commercial plans. Because Medicaid, especially when we talk about birth, covers 50% of our births. Um, 50% of our um, pregnant people are supported and by the Medicaid program. And so if we have institutional providers not engaging and supporting those pregnant people, they don't have the access they deserve that they need. Um, And that continues to sort of really exacerbate what we all know is health inequity. It is totally, you hit it right on Samantha. I know that's definitely specifically when we're talking about black women, as we know, two thirds of black women in the state of Illinois are on Medicaid. So it really is like a, a racial justice issue, racial justice, human rights issue. Like if we are dying at eight times out of white women, and Kaylin and I just found out that I think it's, was it 84%? 86% of the pregnancy related medical 86% of pregnancy related deaths in Illinois due to medical causes among black women were deemed preventable upon committee review, like 86% and preventable means changeable, changeable. And so how do we change it? And I think Medicaid has the potential to be this lever, but it's just like, well, Medicaid administrators can't do like the providers need to buy in and there needs to be a change in perspective because right. I think, I know we get a lot, we're like, well, yeah, but we just don't want to deal with Medicaid. And my point is like, by saying that, you're saying also like we 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 don't really want to deal with black people. Pretty like, much, pretty the majority much. <laughs> of black birthing people are insured by Medicaid. That's so correct. what are we doing here? Correct. And th- that's where it's like this is really illustrative of like what how systemic racism works. Correct. You know. Correct. And Hollis Collective is completely dedicated to really changing the system so that it's equitable and accessible for everybody. You know, like that's our priority. Absolutely, and that is why I think. You know, we also partnered um, and, and along with, a, you know, with Leader Greenwood on increasing the prenatal reimbursement rate. Crucial. Um, that's such a good bill. I'm so happy about that bill. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that went through. Yes. Like Leader Greenwood was an amazing champion. We were so happy to partner with her because it does matter. We it, It's not one bill. It's not one step. It is a collective march. There's a lot more to do together. Um, but it's critical because I often talk about, as you guys talked about, you know, sort of maternal mortality and, and those reports. Um, it is, it's changeable. They're preventable. But also that is the tip of the iceberg. That okay. is not the entire iceberg or the entire glacier. It is just what is sticking up out of the water. It is the worst outcome. And it's heartbreaking because it's that person, but it's that family. But underneath there is so much trauma, so much pain, and so many preventable negative outcomes that not only impact that pregnant person in that moment, in that episode, but then also Across the life course, because it's especially when you're talking about the black family, we already are downtrodden. I mean, if you go to a predominantly black community and you go to a predominantly white affluent community, it's two different realities that we're looking at, right? So we're already kind of somewhat starting off with a disadvantage, no matter how you want to frame it in terms of food, equity, um, economic resources, like we already are at a disadvantage. So to go and have this negative experience, experience this trauma, to come back as quote unquote, the female or the head of the house or whatever the case may be to be able to ground and continue to take care of the children that you may already have. It just, it just makes it 10 times harder. It makes it so much worse. It's not advancing when advancing us as a people, specifically during this time in history right now, when everybody is saying, quote unquote, black lives matter. And I'm very wise in understanding that 
Black people right now, like the Black maternal movement, really is like quote unquote political capital, right? People, everybody's capitalizing off of what's going on right now. But at the end of the day, like who's going to actually like care and stick stick with this 10 years down the line when I'm looking at people that are we have around us right now, are we going to still have the same people around us 10 years later? But I think like because of the, that's why our focus is legislation because it's like when, yes. whenever the movement passes, the gains that are being made now will benefit Black people. And then also it, it also benefits maternal health overall. Right. And so by leading at the center and focusing, how do we improve things for Black mothers? Correct. It's like this is a project of collective liberation. It is. And it really so is. by focusing on how do we better take care of Black mothers, that benefits all mothers. And so it's cool, but we need to be centered. We need to be at the forefront. And we it's, really do. yeah, absolutely. And I think what we see is, and there have been studies where we've looked at this, where um, if you only focus on clinical interventions, that improves outcomes for white women, mm-hmm. but it leaves behind um, women of color. And that's why we looked at implicit bias training and some other items because you can't leave behind women of color. Oh, ladies, this conversation has been wonderful. I'm so grateful that you were able to join us. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and continuing the march towards progress and better health equity. I look forward to continuing this ongoing conversation because it's definitely not going to stop. And for our listeners, I want to make sure that to learn more about what IMIP is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website, imhip.net. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. As always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.